Um, so, um, happy Mother's Day to everybody. Happy Mother's Day. I love what Pastor Ron said earlier that we wouldn't be here without you. That's a very true statement. To my knowledge, there's only been one male that's been pregnant, and that was Arnold Schwarzenegger in that movie. And I'm not sure that that was real or not, but, and I think we could all agree that that's one movie that probably should have never been made because it's just kind of, it's, it's just awkward. You don't want to really think too much about how that works. I don't know. It can get, I, don't, I won't go there, but it's just kind of a weird movie. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> but seriously, thank, thank you to all of our mothers that sacrifice and do so much for us. My mom is here this morning, and uh, I wanted to say a few words about, about my mom. And uh, for, for those of you that are maybe jealous that I get to do that and you don't, you should have become a preacher, so you could do that. <laughs> but you didn't, and I did, so I get to share some words about my mom. So I... Uh, I text my brothers and sisters. I have one brother and, and two sisters all older than me last night. And I, I just said, hey, I'm, I'm talking tomorrow about, on Mother's Day, and um, I'm going to mention something, some stuff about mom. What's something, what's, what's a way maybe you would describe mom? What, what, how would you describe mom? And of course, my brothers and sisters, if you know anything about our text message threads, was full of sarcasm and jokes and and, uh, but finally, I got a decent answer out of all of them. And uh, all of us, I'll show them to you later, Mom. I'm not going to read them now. <laughs> but in a nutshell, all of us said pretty much the same thing, that she's selfless. That all growing up, that she was always there for us. I think Amanda said it, said it well. She said, Mom always had our back, and we know she always will have our back. And mom's just always been that caretaker. That's just always who she's been as the caretaker and, and the one that would make the sacrifice for her kids and now her grandkids and her family. And, uh, and so I, I was trying to think of some stories of that. Um, and, and mom, again, being the caretaker, mom was just, she stayed at home with us kids. Dad was, had a job that allowed mom that, uh, the ability to stay at home with us kids. And uh, so in the mornings, for instance, just mom being a caretaker, Mom waking me up in the morning versus dad waking me up in the morning. There's, there's no difference. If, I've mentioned before that I am not a morning person whatsoever. You can ask my wife. I'm not pleasant to be around in the morning. I'm usually just trying to stay quiet because, and then, and then the worst part is Malachi is the exact opposite of that. So the combination between Malachi and me in the morning is just not good. But I've just never been a morning person. And, and Kokomo High School got up, uh, school started at 7.05 in the morning at Kokomo, so I had to be up usually, well, 7.05, so I got up about 7 o'clock, because <laughs> <laughs> I lived right, at, right around the corner from the school, uh, and, and mom would come in, well, let me describe dad first, dad would come in, and he'd flip the lights on, or he'd be like, Josh, it's time to get up, time to get up, and then he'd walk out, and of course, I'd be still in bed, just trying to be groggy and waking up, it takes me forever to wake up. He'd come back in two minutes later, Josh, get out of bed, you know, pulling the covers off. That was dad waking me up in the morning. I hated when dad woke me up in the morning. He may not even remember that, but I remember that. <laughs> mom knew me well, like all moms do, and knew that eventually I would get out of bed. And so she would come in, I don't know what time, probably gave me a half an hour or so, and nicely, gently wake me up, and then she would just back off. And she knew eventually I would get up. And there was times that I maybe didn't make it to school in time, but it was just nice because she just knew eventually I would get up. And she was that caretaker. She was nice to me. I'm like, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) 
Father's Day's coming. Hey, I said nice things about you last Father's Day, so. Another story, I think, about mom as far as being selfless. Uh, when I turned 18, it was about six months after I graduated high school, my buddy Bill and I decided we were going to move out into an apartment on our own. And me being the baby of the family, mom did not like that idea because I was 18. I was still young. I don't know if Bill had any play in that, my friend Bill moving in with him. But, uh, and I was moving out of the house, and I remember that just kind of being a deal. And I remember uh, one morning I went, I went to work, and I came back. When I got back, I had a list on my desk in my room of all the things I'd have to take care of when I moved out. Do you remember that list? <laughs> of all, it was a list of all the things like, hey, moving out isn't all it's cracked up to be. You're going to have to pay for this, and you're going to have to get these, and you're going to have to get that. And so mom was trying to convince me not to move out, but against my mother's will, I broke her heart, and I moved out anyway. But when I moved out, of course, I moved out. I was on my own for a little while, but every week there was no no laundry service on my apartment complex, so I'd come in every week with a load of laundry, and I, I was a good boy. I was going to try to do it myself, but I also knew that if I left it there while I went to work, that magically it would get done. <laughs> and she did. She would always, she would do, she would help me with my laundry. She would help us out. Mom, mom just was always selfless like that, and she still is. Just she's, she, uh, To her own hurt, she'll watch our kids, even if they have other plans. Sometimes she'll cancel the plans to, to make herself available to watch our kids and my brothers and sisters' kids. And uh, she's always, she's, she's a praying mom. My, my siblings, not me, but my siblings gave her a lot of stuff to pray about. <laughs> and she prayed about that. She, she uh, worried, of course, for her kids. She uh, interceded for them. And she was just always extremely selfless. And and uh, so mom, one of the great, I was trying to think of one of the greatest lessons mom taught us. And I would say probably the greatest lesson that mom taught us was to put family first. Before everything else, mom always put family first, that her kids were always number one over everything. And uh, I so appreciated that. I grew up in a, a wonderful house with wonderful parents, and, and uh, I, I, just, I just so appreciate that about you guys. So, um, so love you, mom. Happy Mother's Day. So, and remember, all of this right here is why I'm the favorite still. <laughs> and you'll see that as well in the text messages later. So, um, so we wanted to touch on this a little bit this, this week, because we know that, or the, this morning, we know that Mother's Day, for most of us, is, is an awesome day, right? A day we get to honor our moms. But for some of us, Mother's Day isn't always that. Sometimes it's, it's incredibly hard. Some of some of you mothers maybe have lost a child. Some of them, some of you kids maybe never really had a good mom growing up. And there's all kinds of different situations that can make this day really hard for you. And, and uh, this week, Pastor Ron um, uh, had, had told me that he had just really felt like maybe that this Sunday that the Lord really wanted to maybe minister some to those, to those moms or those children who maybe this is a difficult day for. And when he, when he said that, something just kind of clicked in my spirit. And it was like, yeah, that... That just feels right. And even this morning and even while I was preparing, I just feel the Holy Spirit on this. So I'm going to kind of change gears just a little bit this morning. And, and I really feel like the Lord just wants to spend just a few minutes maybe ministering a little bit uh, to some of you who maybe this day isn't all it's cracked up to be, or maybe it's not everything that it is to maybe some other people. And, and I, as I was thinking about it, I, I felt like the Lord said this, everything about our Father 
is redemptive. Everything about our Father is redemptive. When we think of redemption, a lot of times we, we think about sin, that He redeems us from our sin and He redeems us maybe from our past life. But I want to go even further than that and say everything about our Father is redemptive. And I want to tell you this morning that maybe today is tough for you, but I believe that the, even this, even the pain you're feeling now on this day can be redemptive. That the Lord can actually redeem this day for you. That today doesn't have to be a, a bad day for you. And that's not to say that things aren't gonna hurt and that there's not gonna be maybe some remorse in days like today, but I believe that even in all of that, the Lord can heal the brokenness you feel maybe today. I've, I wrote down some scriptures I wanted to share. Psalms 147 says that he heals the wounds of the brokenhearted. A few weeks ago, Pastor Ron talked about the difference between an a open wound and a scar, and that an open wound is something that's still festering, it's something that's still is, is injured and is still just uh, causing issues, but a scar is something that is healed. It's not that the wound never happened, it's that the wound is now healed, and now it's a testimony. Now it's something that you can look back on and actually be able to minister through rather than just dealing with the pain of that. And I, and I love that verse, and that goes right along with that. He heals the wounds of the brokenhearted. That maybe you're here this morning and Mother's Day is difficult for you and that you maybe still have wounds that are still open from that. I believe that even today the Lord is gonna come and gonna heal those wounds. And that even though today may, never, may not ever be like it used to be, that there still can be joy on this day for you because once again, everything about our Father is redemptive. Everything is, even days like today. Psalms 30 verse five says, weeping endures for a night but joy comes in the morning. There's two things about this verse. One of them that always has stuck out to me is the word, as it says, but joy comes in the morning. And now, of course, the word there is morning like the daybreak morning. But I've always just kind of heard it this way, that joy comes in the morning. Morning as in, I don't know how to spell, but you know what I'm talking about. M-O-U something, R-N-I-N-G. Morning that joy comes in the morning, that in the midst of mourning, joy can come. Because once again, everything about our Father is redemptive. But it also means weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning, meaning there is a season where weeping happens. There is a season where pain sometimes is, is necessary to go through. But joy comes in the morning, that the, that the weeping can end in the morning. That there is a season of mourning, but, in the, but, but it's just a season, and there can be new life in the daybreak. Amen? That we can find joy after the morning. They call Philippians the book of joy because Paul uses the word joy or rejoice 18 times in four chapters. Interesting thing about Philippians was that Paul wrote it when he was in prison. But he's saying joy, 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 joy over and over again throughout the book. Because even in the midst of hurting, even in the midst of prison, you can find joy. 
Where does this joy come from? Where, does, where do we find joy? How do we have joy when things hurt so bad and when things are so serious? I can't, I can't even imagine, for those of you who have lost a child, I can't even begin to imagine. Now that I have my own kids, I can maybe taste just a touch of what that might feel like, but nobody in this room understands that until that's happened to you. But listen, where, so, so the question then is, how do you find joy in such deep pain? And the answer is this, that joy is not a byproduct of what happens to you or what's around you, but who is inside of you. It says in Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and all of those. That it's not the circumstances happening around us, it's who's living inside of us. The fruit of who's inside of you produces joy inside of you. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In your presence, O God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trials, the sorrows, the anger, the confusion, the frustration, we can have joy because joy is not found in circumstances. Joy is found in his eyes. Once again, in your presence, O God, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures evermore. I believe that here this morning, we are in his presence, that he is here amongst us right now, and it's in his presence that we find fullness of joy. And so I just want to take just a few moments. I don't, I don't want to make this a huge, big, long thing, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit's wanting to minister just right where you're at. Um, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to do anything like that. I just want us to just, just go ahead and close our eyes right now. And I just want to pray for those who have experienced maybe loss, who have experienced maybe just a, a mother who's gone astray, or, or maybe you have a child who is not living right, and you're hurting for that child that is, is away. W- whatever the circumstance may be that makes this a difficult day for you, I feel like the Lord is wanting to redeem today for you, that this will be the last Mother's Day where you'll be, you'll be in turmoil because of the day, but instead of the turmoil you'll have joy on this day once again and that he's gonna redeem it inside of you and he's gonna heal those wounds because his presence is here and in his presence is fullness of joy. So Father, I just lift up these mothers that are here, maybe even the fathers that are here, Lord. God, who this day is difficult, this day is not a day they look forward to, but it's a day they dread. God, I just pray over those those individuals today who are hurting, God, that I pray that you would bind up the brokenhearted that you would heal their wounds, that their wounds would become scars today, Jesus. Lord, and though today may not always, may not look the same as it did before, but it also wouldn't be a day where they have uh, pain and where they, they experience remorse. But Lord, it'd be a day, Lord, of, of joy and of happiness because it's a day the Lord has made. For those who maybe have experienced loss, I pray today would be a day of remembrance, Jesus of the days that it was, it was a good Mother's Day and that today would be a, a memorial day for them and that in that memorial, Lord, they would have joy full of glory, Jesus. God, I thank you that you redeem us from our sins, but Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you redeem our circumstances as well, 
that you redeem our situations, you redeem the problems that we face. And I believe that today is a day of redemption for those mothers and maybe some fathers that are in the room today. And maybe those kids, that today is a day of redemption for them, Jesus. That today can be a day of joy and not of sorrow. I just pray that you would bind up the brokenhearted right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I feel like, I feel like also just with that, um, maybe after service, if, if maybe, maybe you maybe want a little bit more prayer for that situation, I want to leave some room open for that. And so maybe if you want some more prayer for that after the situation, Pastor Ron and I can make ourselves available uh, and Jackie and Amber, we can make ourselves available. Um, and uh, if, you, if you would want maybe some more prayer over that, um, that particular topic, that situation, uh, then we'd be happy to do that, happy to meet with you. And, and I really do. I believe that today can be a day of redemption and that today can be a day full of joy in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Do you guys believe that? Amen. Amen. Awesome. All right. Well, we have this past two weeks been talking about marriage. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to continue on with that for a little while this morning. Uh, and, and I don't know, uh, Pastor Ron explained a little bit on how that kind of uh, came about. Uh, and I, I just wanted to share a little bit of, from our end as well of, of how that kind of that process started. Um, how many of you have ever experienced a season where the Lord is just shouting something to you? Like he's just focusing in on a, spe- on a specific subject and it's just like you can't get away from it. Everywhere you turn, it's like the Lord is just like, this is what I want to talk to you about. And so for Amber and I, that topic has been family for the past few months, all the way past, uh, what was the last holiday? Easter, that's it. All the way past, even before Easter, the Lord has just been shouting at us this thought of family. And, and, and that dynamic is really twofold. The, the family as individuals, like our, your own personal family with your husband and wife, but then also the family as, as the church and how the church operates as a family and how, how, what that looks like and, and uh, how that should look and how that should operate. And, uh, and so and maybe after the marriage series, we might even, I might even kind of share some of that with you, some of those thoughts. But that all ended up kind of breaking down into this thought of marriage that our our families, our family units uh, are only as strong as our marriages are. That our kids, our kids are only as strong as the marriage is. And even as a church, our church family can only be as strong as the individuals in the families are, are in, the, in their marriages and then their families are strong. And so we started thinking, man, it would just be a, it's just what the Lord is shouting right now is this idea of family and this idea of relationship. And, and how many of you know that's one thing Harmony does really well is family. We've always done that. We talked about what's the core identity of Harmony Christian Church. What's one of the cores? And we believe that one of those cores is family. We, we, we live it well. We do it well. And, uh, and so I think maybe in the coming uh, coming times that maybe I'll speak. I might share some more on what that looks like. But for today, I want to talk to you about marriage. One of the things that we wanted to do within this marriage series was take a few couples from the church that we know have had strong marriages, which it was hard to decide who those would be, make those videos about, because there's so many marriages within this congregation that are thriving and are strong and have longevity. Um, But we went ahead and just picked a handful of people and we've, we started making these videos. And the idea is we want you not to just hear from Pastor Ron and I 
we want you to hear from individuals in this congregation who have had marriages that have been lasting for, for 30, 40, 50 years that have been through some stuff and can share some advice with us. So I want to show you real quick our very first video. Uh, we interviewed Dennis and Ann last week, and uh, they just wanted to share some things with you, share some advice with you. So go ahead and roll that video. Thank you guys for doing this and volunteering to come and to sit down and chat about your marriage. Um, we wanted to pick some couples within the congregation that we knew had strong marriages uh, that would have some really good words of advice to give to us. Um, and so we wanted to do that. So before we get into the real deep questions, uh, how long have you guys been married? It'll be 35 years in June. 35 years in June. Yeah. That's awesome. That's longer than I've been alive. How's that make you feel? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what did you always say? 25 of the best years of my life. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So those other 10 years, a little more shaky. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, tell me your love story. How did you meet? What made you want to marry each other? Uh, were you forced into it? What were the details? <laughs> Well, we started dating at the end of our sophomore year in high school. And, um, nope, no, we weren't forced into it. Um, so after we graduated, I went to beauty school for a year and um, Dennis Farm for a year. And then we got married and, yeah, started on our own. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Do you have the same story, Dennis? It's, it's, it's exactly the same. Yeah, that's good. I didn't go to beauty school. No, we can tell. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you should have went yeah. to beauty school. Yeah. Yeah. I could have kept my hair. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, so growing up, um, did you guys have a good example in your home growing up? Did you have parents um, that gave you a good foundation for marriage, what it should look like? Um, if so, how did that affect your marriage? And, and maybe not. Maybe it was the other way around. Maybe you didn't have a great example growing up. And if that's the case, how, how did that maybe affect your marriage? Well, we can answer each other. I, I know growing up, I think it was hard for each of us because um, I feel like our parents was a good, my parents was a good example, but they were like, I felt like any other couple that they had arguments and we've seen arguments, but she grew up, her parents never argued in front of the kids. And so she never seen an argument between the parents. So she expected a perfect Ar marriage. Argument free. Argument free. <laughs> Absolutely. So it was, a, it was a challenge for the first few years. Of, she didn't expect, every time we had an argument, she thought we were in trouble. And I didn't even think anything about it. Yeah, yeah we, did, we both did have good, good examples, though. I mean, like your longevity. Your parents were married for years. Almost 60 years. Yeah, 60, 60 years. years. And, you know, my parents have been married forever and, yeah. and, and grandparents and things like that. So, I mean, there's a real stick to it, stick to itness there, too, for are the examples for us. But that's true. I Conflict resolution maybe was a, a lot that we had to learn. <laughs> Definitely. You had to learn. Oh. <laughs> I learned to give in. Uh, <laughs> there you go. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> the camera's not rolling. Yeah. Uh -oh. 
So in marriage, um, there's a lot of outside things trying to grab your attention. There's a lot of things pulling, trying to pull you away from each other. So what's maybe some boundaries, some safeguards, some things you did to keep your marriage strong, to keep those outside voices quiet to where you guys could have your strong marriage that's thriving like it is today? Years ago, he had a coworker that was kind of having some issues with her marriage. And, you know, it's easy to want to step into something and say, oh, you know, be sympathetic to that. But um, even then, if you're going to be sympathetic to someone, it still has to be together because you can't be sympathetic to somebody like from the opposite sex. Yeah. You just always have to be um if you're going to do a ministry together or something like that, then you need to do it together and not, you know, you just can't go down that route. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That you've got to protect that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even if others don't understand why. You still, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just still, even in those things, those boundaries have to be there. Yeah. All right. Last question. What's the best advice that you would give as a married couple to another married couple? Maybe one that's just getting married, maybe one that's still in the early stages of marriage. What is the best advice that you would give to somebody or a couple? I, I think it's probably being more selfless than selfish because that's when I felt like we, when I give in, and it's almost like what she just said, submit. You know, I, I want to submit to her just as much as she probably submit, submits to me. So it's the selfless, you know, being selfless is a, for us. But I think that's when things really changed for us. Quit thinking about ourselves, think about the other person. And, you know, that's that, that helped us tremendously, I think, or at least helped me. That's really good. I would say you married a good person. Or I married a good man. Let God make the changes. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Didn't they do a good job? I learned two things in that video. One, how to have a good marriage, and that I'm also bald. It was a rough day for me when I watched that footage. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should have went to beauty school too, Dennis. Yeah. All right. Okay, so let's go ahead and just jump right into the scripture this morning. I want to uh, read this scripture to you and, uh, and share some, some things on marriage. All right. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Happy Mother's Day, wives. <laughs> if you remember, last year I spoke on Mother's Day as well, and I used this verse. I think if I speak on Mother's Day in the future, I'm always going to reference this verse, just because it's fun to see everybody's reaction, because it, it gets so tense in the room when you read this scripture. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, so also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And that's usually where the husbands stop reading, right there. 
But then it goes on and says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her himself, or I'm sorry, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love your own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife also loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are the members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want to talk to you about cultivating and protecting this morning. Cultivating and protecting this morning. I believe that the, um, I believe that the root of many of our problems in marriage is the same root that produces our sin, and it's selfishness. It's selfishness. Before I jump into that again, let me, let me explain a little more on this cultivate and protect. I believe there are two things that you have to do in order to keep your marriage healthy. Cultivate and protect it. You have to cultivate and protect it. Um, and, and there's, of course, I think other things that can go into that as well. But I think as a general rule of thumb, cultivating and protecting is the, is the two things that a marriage needs to stay healthy. You have to cultivate your relationship with your spouse. How many of you ever heard the term, I fell in love? I fell in love. Well, it's a stupid term, okay? It's dumb. Don't ever say it again, because if you can fall into love, you're saying you fell into love by accident. It was an accident. I just fell into love. It's like you fell into a ditch as you were walking, or as some of you might think or act, you fell into an open grave, you know? It's, it's an accident, and if you can accidentally fall in love, then you can accidentally fall out of love. Love isn't an accident, okay? You don't fall into love. Love is a choice. Love, yes, has feelings attached to it. And it's okay if you, if, you, if you fell in love and you find that person and you get goosebumps when you're around them and, and all of that mushy stuff, that's okay. Love does have feelings, but love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice, I love what Chris Valentin says. One of my favorite ministers says this, and I use this out of almost every marriage that I've ever performed. He says, you have to do the things you do when you feel in love, even when you don't. So you wake up in the morning, you're a new couple, you, you just can't get enough, and you kiss your wife, and, and you, you, know, you have this wonderful morning. Well, then years down the road, you wake up and you don't see the new bride anymore. You have the, 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 you know, bad breath and the messy hair. Well, guess what? You still need to lean over and kiss your wife in the morning. You have to do the things that you did when you felt in love, even when you don't. And, and that's the idea of, of this, of this marriage thing is love is not an accident. Love is a choice. It's intentional. It's something you have to cultivate. It's something you have to constantly be working on and keep intentionally pursuing. 
You have to work for it. It's a decision. So you have to cultivate your marriage. You also have to protect your marriage. The moment you said, I do, and became one flesh, since that moment, the world around you is doing everything that it can to pull you apart. And it's not just the devil, okay? Yes, of course, the devil hates your marriage and wants to destroy it. Obviously, he wants to destroy everything. But it's not just the devil. It's paying the car payment. It's all of the bills. It's the pressures at work. It's the pressures of having kids. It's all of these things that make for a stressful situation that are constantly trying to pull you apart. And unless you promote safeguards in your relationship, unless you value protecting your relationship, those things will either make your relationship stronger or they'll break your relationship. But you have to decide if you're going to make safeguards around your marriage to protect it. For a marriage to be healthy and strong, you have to do two things. You have to cultivate it and you have to protect it, okay? This morning, I'm mostly gonna talk to you about cultivating, uh, cultivating your, your marriage and your relationship. Um, and then maybe, maybe some other time down the road, we can talk a little bit more about protecting. But right now, I wanna talk mostly about cultivating. So as I said earlier, I believe the root of most of our problems in marriage is our selfishness. We are naturally selfish people. We came out of the womb selfish. It's just part of who we are. We, in, we tend to act selfishly. We want all of our desires to be met. All of our needs need to be met. And a lot of times people go into marriage with the idea that this other person is going to fulfill my every need and desire. And that is the wrong motive to go into marriage with. If, you're mar- if you go into marriage thinking that this person's gonna meet every single one of my needs, then you are setting yourself up for disaster. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that can meet all of your needs is Jesus Christ, right? Is Yahweh the Father. And you cannot put your spouse in the place that only God can fill. You cannot put your spouse in the place that only God can fill. Only he can meet every single need. Only he will never disappoint you. Your spouse cannot do that, okay? So you can't go into marriage expecting your spouse to meet every single one of your needs. That's setting yourself up for disaster. The only way to go into marriage, the right way to go into marriage is realizing that they're not there to fulfill your needs. You're there to fulfill theirs, that you go into marriage with an attitude of a servant, that you want to spend the rest of your life making that person the happiest person on earth, okay? So you've got, we've got to break this selfish mentality and realize that we are not getting married so they can meet all of our needs, that we are getting married so that we can meet their needs and so that we can serve them. Amen? Is that true? You married couples who have been married 50 years? Amen. Okay. I'm going to need your help this morning because I've only been married 10, so I need you 50-some-year-old marriages to back me up, okay? So marriage needs to be selfless. So this reminded me of a story, and Amber's going to love this because this story is on me. It's her favorite story to tell, so if you hear laughter in the front row, you know who it's coming from. So how many of you in the room are people that need a fan to fall asleep to? I know that there's lots of them. Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. You need a fan. 
You are the worst people on earth. <laughs> I don't get it. I hear noise all day long. The last thing I want is a high-pitched motor whizzing in my ear all night long. But for some reason, Amber loves the fan noise and needs that noise to fall asleep to. So this has been a thing in all of our 10 years of marriage, okay? So one, one evening, here we go. The first probably five or six, seven, felt like 100 years of our marriage, we had the fan in our room, okay? And uh, one evening, how many of you remember when I broke my ankle? I broke my ankle, that's been what, maybe I don't know, several years ago. I had broken my ankle. I was on crutches. I was in all kinds of agonizing pain. She didn't care. And (laughs) so I'm laying, I have to lay on the side of the bed that she normally lays on because of the, my, it was my uh, left ankle that was broken. So I had to put it, be able to prop it up. And of course I had the fan right there by my ear on the nightstand. Okay. And I'm, I'm already agitated because I'm hurting. I'm in pain. Again, she doesn't care. And I'm like, honey, can I please just turn the fan off? Can I please? She's like, no, I need the fan. I need the fan to sleep with. And I'm like, seriously, I'm hurting, babe. I need to turn the fan off. And we went back and forth for a little while. Finally, I just got so fed up. I was like, fine, I'm just going to the other room. And so I get up, stumble up, grab my crutches, and I'm, I'm furious and I'm going out as fast as I can on my crutches and all I hear in the background is laughter. (laughs) She is cracking up because of the sight of me crawling out of bed all in a frantic mad fit with my crutches hobbling out to the couch and she just doesn't care. She's like, fine, I'll get to sleep with my fan and the rest of the bed, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so eventually I finally cool down and realize I'm being dumb and I come back in and whatever. I think, I don't remember if the fan got left on or not, but the good news is, is we are finally in the stage of our marriage where we can do without the fan. So she spent, we spent the first half of our 10 years with the fan and now it's her turn to be selfless and sleep without the fan. So we finally got blissful quiet in our house and I can get a good night's sleep. So... But it's the idea of overcoming selfishness. You know, I, we had to overcome the idea that she wanted this and I didn't want this and work through all of that. Of course, that's nothing. That's a big deal. It's kind of humorous and funny. But there are major things that take place, right, in a marriage where we have to overcome selfishness. Again, you don't marry a person so they can serve you, but you marry them so you can serve them. If you have that mentality then your marriage will thrive. It'll be, it'll be full and it'll be happy. So let's go back. Some of you are probably still wondering why I read Ephesians besides just the fact that it's fun to read on Mother's Day. This is why I read Ephesians. Ephesians, Paul is telling us the two greatest needs of a man and a woman within the context of this verse. The two greatest needs of a man and a woman. Let me explain it to you. Paul is saying this, men need honor and respect. So one of the greatest needs that a man has is that we need honor and respect. Women need love and security in the relationship. And obviously the people have different needs. We have different things. But I believe that this can kind of go back to the foundation 
of what men and women need. Men need honor and respect. Women need love and security. Men need to know that they are appreciated, that they are valued, that they are needed. And this, one, this one's a big one right here for me, that there is no other human being on the planet that you would rely on over them. They need to be your superhero. They need to feel respect and honor in order to, to, to feel appreciated. Women, what they need, they need to know that they are first before anything else, before sports, before hanging out with the guys, before our hobbies, and this is another big one, guys, before our jobs, before work, before putting dinner on the table. They need to know that they are the most important thing. They need to feel protected, and I don't mean just protected from, from a big bully that's trying to mess with them or from the rude lady at Walmart that took their parking place. They need to feel protected um, that any, they need to feel protected that, that nothing else is going to steal your gaze away from them and that nothing else is going to become more important than they are. They need to feel secure. These are, I believe, the two greatest needs of any relationship. I believe that even this, these, these two things are the filters through what we view everything else. That you can be in an argument and if the husband doesn't feel like the wife is honoring and respecting him, then he hears everything through that disrespect. That you can't, you could be saying the most true statement on the planet, but if there's, but if he is feeling like that honor is violated, then he's not going to hear it, the truth. He's not going to hear it the right way because he's going to hear everything through that litmus test. And it's the same way for women that they hear everything through Am I valued? Am I the first thing? Am I the most important thing in this relationship to them? They hear everything through that filter and through that lens. And if that thing is not put in right place and right perspective, then it's gonna be real hard to solve your issues and your problems. Because like Paul is saying here, the two greatest needs is that women or that men need to feel honor and respect and that women need to feel love and security. And without that being the foundation, then it's going to be really difficult to solve any of our problems and our issues. Amen? If you are more concerned, here we go. I'm going to step on a few toes here. If you are more concerned about being right than you are about making the other one happy, then marriage isn't for you. Let me, let me say that in a different way. If you are already married and have that problem, have a problem of letting go of being right, then you better learn to swallow your pride and realize that meeting their needs comes before you getting justice. Ouch! That being right isn't always right. That the relationship needs to come before being right. That being a servant needs to come before making the best point and saying the last word. And that, my married friends, is one of the hardest things to do in marriage, isn't it? And I say this at every wedding too. Sometimes living selfishly means admitting you're wrong, even though deep down inside, you know you're right. <laughs> 
because again, marriage isn't about justice. It's not a, it's, you're not a judge. You're not making a call on what's right and wrong. Marriage is about cultivating a relationship and serving the other person to your own hurt. To your own hurt. That's what being a servant is, is doing something for the other person that costs you. And sometimes that cost is admitting you were wrong, even if you believe with everything inside of you that you were right. I believe that this is step one in fixing our broken relationships and fixing our problems. Step one is, is, is listening and is analyzing yourself and, and thinking to yourself, am I meeting the greatest need that they have? Am I honoring him? Does he realize how much I honor and respect him? Does she realize that she is the most important thing in my world? over work, over friends, over sports, over everything else, do they realize that they are the most important thing? Does he realize that I honor him and respect him above everything else? And if that answer is no, then that is step one of fixing your relationship. Making sure they understand, listen, we've had some issues, we've had some problems, there's some things that are affecting me and are hurting me, and I wanna talk about those things, but I wanna talk about them through the lens of you understanding that I honor you more than you could ever imagine, and I love you, and I, and I respect you, and you are the first thing in my life. And through that lens, we can go forward talking about our issues and our problems. Because when that is settled, then you can work through the other issues and come to an agreement and come, through, come to a solution. Amen? If you're sitting there thinking, I'm just going to read some of this. If you're sitting there thinking, that's right, she doesn't respect me. Or yeah, he doesn't put me first and I've got news. You don't change them by preaching to them. You change them by first changing yourself. I love what Anne said there at the end of the video. She said, I married a good man. I'm going to let God do the changes. It's, listen, what I, I, and, it's, and it's not to say that there's not issues that they need to work on. It's not demeaning the way that you feel in the situation. And because and, those things are important and they're valid and those things need to be worked on. But it's for, before you deal with those issues, you have to first deal with your own thought process, processes and your own way of treating them, the other person. You have to get into the mindset of you're here to serve them, not for them to serve you. Before you can deal with the issues you have, you have to deal with issues that are first going on inside of you, right? You don't change them by preaching at them. You change them by first changing yourself. I love this. It's the kindness of God that draws men to repentance. It's not God constantly nagging us saying, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't be sinning. You shouldn't be looking at those things. You shouldn't be lying. It's God saying, listen, I know you did those things, but I'm gonna give you grace. I'm gonna give you love. I'm gonna give you mercy. That in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us. It's the kindness of God that draws men to repentance. And it's the same thing in our marriage. It's not us constantly nagging and telling them everything they're doing wrong. It's the kindness of us saying, listen, I'm gonna give you grace in those situations and I'm gonna make you the absolute most important thing my mission is to make sure that you feel secure in this relationship and that you feel honored in this relationship. The other, another verse, you save your life by laying it down. The Bible talks about that. You save your life by laying it down. And it's the same way with our marriage. We save our marriages by laying ourselves down. That we have to become selfless. We save our marriages 
by laying ourselves down. And that's exactly what the kingdom is. You see, some of this stuff wouldn't fly in the world culture because they don't understand kingdom culture because kingdom culture can be kind of confusing. Kingdom culture is this. You must become a servant. The way to gain is to give. The way to live is to die. And the way to lead is to become the servant of all. And all of these things apply to our marriage just like they do in the kingdom. The way to gain is to give of yourself. The way to live, the way to have life in your marriage is actually to die to yourself. And the way to lead in a marriage is actually to become the servant of all. Jesus Christ, the the son of God, the creator of heavens and the earth, bent down and washed the disciples' feet, including the disciple that would later on betray him. He became the servant of all, yet he was the leader of the entire world. And it works the same way in our marriage. We have to become the servant of all. We have to lay ourselves down in order to gain. John 15, verse 12 through 13 says, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. There is no greater love than to give up your life for your spouse. There's no better way to show them that you love them than to lay yourself down and become selfless. Amen? So cultivating our relationships, we have to lay ourselves down. We have to become selfless. That's one way to cultivate. And I believe that's the starting point is to get out of the mindset of being served and become the servant. So we have to cultivate a culture of servanthood within our marriage to become, uh, to have a healthy marriage. Amen? So cultivating, okay? Cultivating in our marriage, becoming selfless, becoming the servant of all, amen? How do we have a healthy marriage? We cultivate and we protect. Cultivate and protect. We'll talk more about protecting next time, amen? Amen, all right, let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much. First of all, thank you for the gift of marriage, Lord. God, it's one of the greatest gifts you've given us uh, as, as children of God is the ability to marry our best friend and to share life with another person and to become one with another person. Father, I just pray for each and every marriage in this room, God, God, that they would be strong, that they would be healthy. Father, that they would thrive, Lord. God, that, that the marriage would be the, the best thing in their life, Lord. God, that they would find, Lord, a partner to do life with, Lord, that, uh, that is giving and that is life-giving, Jesus. God, I just pray life and strength over the homes and over, over, over the homes in this church, Lord, that there would be joy everlasting and that your presence would just fill each and every home, Father. God, I, I thank you on this day being Mother's Day. I thank you for moms, Lord, who have sacrificed and who have laid their lives down, who have become selfless for their kids and for their spouse, Father. God, we honor them this morning. And I pray that today they would feel just such tremendous honor today from the, not just from the kids, but even from you, the Lord. God, that you would show them great honor for what they do for their families. We give you glory and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.